So good morning, everybody. Glad you're here with us. Welcome, want to welcome any guests that are here this morning. And uh, just working out a slideshow thing here. Will you join me as I uh, open this time of preaching to the Lord in, in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pause right now to acknowledge you, proclaim you as holy, as worthy of our worship and obedience. Thank you for giving us your word that is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. And as we open up your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, direct us, help us draw proper application from it. Grant us open hearts and open minds to your truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everything good here? Okay, I feel like as I'm praying, I'm getting makeup put on me, and <laughs> I hope I look better now. I got tech. I'm like, is this it's great? If someone wants to come preach, that's awesome. <laughs> Am I in the way? Yeah, you're in the screen. All right. Good grief. Okay. Wow, well, I'll start. Um, this morning we're concluding a sermon series entitled, Follow Christ in the Days of Your Youth. And we've been looking at subjects that are particularly important to youth in our congregation this morning, or in the past four weeks. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we've looked at what Scripture teaches about your relationship with God, with your relationship with your parents your siblings. And this morning, we conclude by considering what Scripture teaches about your relationship with your friends. Now, like other sermons in this series, the principles would apply to any one of us, no matter your age. But we've been making an effort to tailor these messages to our youth. To our youth. And in case anyone was wondering, I am a former youth, um, and I have evidence here to prove it. Since Robbie uh, last week was so shameless in showing a picture of himself, uh, that was Pastor Rob, if you weren't here. Um, this is uh, Exhibit A, Widston Elementary School, second grade class, circa 1975. Um, I am the happy child in the bottom right corner, in desperate need of a haircut, clearly. Um, uh, fast forward to a page in the 1982 Wyzetta Junior High yearbook. I'm again pictured in the bottom right corner. I'm glad my hair is combed, um, but you know I, I still feel like I need a haircut. And then uh, finally here, if I'm doing my clicking right, 1986 with uh, two of my childhood uh, best friends, Eric and Patrick, were dressed up for the senior prom here. Um, these are two friends of mine that uh, were certainly more athletic than me. They were better students than me. They were more disciplined than me. They were better looking than me. But <laughs> besides that, we, we had a lot in common. Um, and I have to admit, as I prepared to preach this morning on friendship, I found myself reminiscing of my years growing up in Minnesota. 
I was looking at photo albums, I was looking at yearbooks, and I, I have a lot of fond memories growing up. I don't, I don't want to diminish what an awesome, great childhood I had, uh, but I realized this week as I was reminiscing and thinking about my friends and really thinking about a lot of the, the dumb things I did, uh, I made a lot of mistakes growing up. I wasted, really wasted so many opportunities to have honored and served the Lord in my youth, including in my relationships with my friends. So I stand here this morning not claiming to be a perfect role model or even an ideal role model of friendship. I stand here rather with someone with years of wisdom who made mistakes, and I hope I can share with you a little bit, the youth especially in this, uh, this morning, to encourage you to honor the Lord in the friendships he has given you. An important theme of our sermon series is that God can use you, and God wants to use you where you are right now, regardless of your age. In your youth, God wants to use you. He has uniquely placed you with your family and your friends, in your neighborhoods, in schools, for a purpose. He does not want to wait until you get older to use you for his purposes. Scripture is filled with God doing amazing things with people your age. Whether you are five years old, or 10, or 15, or in your 20s, believe me, you do not stay young forever. As my daughter likes to say about college, the days are long and the years are short. So don't waste the opportunity to serve the Lord now. I'd like, to, I'd like you to just take a moment right now to think about your friends or a couple of your closer friends. Think about them. Maybe you can picture their faces. Maybe you're thinking of their names. Some of your friends may share your belief in Jesus Christ. Others may not. And as you think of these friends of yours, my encouragement to you, and especially to young people in the room, make friendship a ministry. Make friendship a ministry. Now, what do I mean by that? I realize that sounds very churchy, doesn't it? There's a couple of things I'm trying to convey when I encourage you to make friendship a ministry that I wish I had embraced in my youth. The first is to be purposeful. Be purposeful in your friendships. Ministries have a purpose, and so should your friendships. Whether your friend is a Christian or not, I submit to you that your purpose in friendship is to point your friend to Jesus. Point your friend to Jesus. And if your friend is a Christian, then that would be mutual, right? You should be pointing each other to Jesus. Now, does that mean you can't joke around with your friends or talk about sports or music or fashion or Legos? Of course not. Have fun with your friends. Joke and laugh and play together. But make your friendships more than that. Be purposeful. Making friendship a ministry means pointing each other to Jesus. Also, friendships require work and sacrifice. It's not about what the other person gives you. There's going to be times you find that your friendships need you to do the giving. 
And that takes work and sacrifice. Now, in case someone is thinking they don't need friends or perhaps someone doesn't want friends, I want to be sure to tell you that friendship is biblical. I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's worth emphasizing now. We were created to be in relationship, and that includes our friends. Just think about all the commands in the New Testament and how many of them involve how we relate to each other. Without friends, it would be really hard to be kind to one another, honor one another, accept one another, be patient with one another, and all the other one another commands we find. We're designed to be in relationship with others. Consider Jesus. He did not walk this earth as a loner. He engaged in the ministry of friendship. I love this picture from The Chosen depicting Jesus at a wedding celebration with his friends, laughing and and having fun. We find in John chapter 11 that Jesus had a close friendship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. When Jesus wept at the tomb of, of Lazarus, the people there said, see how he loved him. He had formed a special friendship with Peter, James, and John. Of the 12 disciples, he often took just those three with him on special occasions, like when he was transfigured. There is a special bond between Jesus and these three men. Similarly, we find Paul had formed many friendships during his ministry years. In the book of Acts, in Paul's letters, we learn of friends who cared for Paul, who supported him, encouraged him, and ministered with him. Yet Paul also experienced some friendships that disappointed him and and even hurt him. I love how Paul ended his second letter to Timothy, the passage that John just read for us, because it provides a glimpse into some of those friendships of Paul's. We'll be looking at some of those friends as we walk through three biblical attributes of friendship this morning. You might want to write these down. First, the ministry of friendship purposefully encourages. The ministry of friendship purposefully encourages. Paul writes, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And in Ephesians 4.29, Paul instructs us to speak words that are good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. Merriam-Webster defines encouragement as the act of giving hope, or promise. A good friend is an encouraging friend, someone whose words and actions strengthen and build up. When you think about your closest friends, do you think they would describe you as an encourager? If you're like me, you might not think about encouraging someone because it seems as if they have it all together. But let's be honest, no one has it all together. Each one of us struggle with doubts or fears or regrets or loneliness. And each one of us is strengthened by encouragement. Even Paul needed encouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we find Paul feeling pretty low. Do you know that feeling when, when things aren't going the way you had hoped or wanted? Paul's body was tired. He faced affliction at every turn. He was at a low point physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But look at verse 6, what Paul writes, But God, who comforts the downcast, 
comforted us by the coming of Titus. God sent Titus to bring Paul comfort and encouragement in that moment of need. Anisiphorus was another friend who encouraged Paul. Paul wrote 2 Timothy from a Roman prison facing certain death by execution. In chapter 1, we learn that Anisiphorus went to Rome and searched earnestly to locate the prison Paul was in. Rome was a big city and it had several prisons, so this was no small task. And Paul wrote that Anisiphorus often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Titus and Anisiphorus encouraged their friend Paul. They strengthened him, refreshed him, and comforted him. I remember when my daughter was in junior high and had just started competing in speech tournaments. Everything was very new to her. And those tournaments can be a little nerve-wracking, especially when you're just getting started. I remember waiting outside a competition room with her in one of her first tournaments. Those are anxious moments knowing that in a couple minutes you're going to go give a speech. And what stands out to, my, to me is that one of the older students who everybody knew because she basically won everything, walked by and took a few minutes to encourage my daughter. And I know that might not seem like a big thing now, but it was a big thing at that moment. So young people here this morning, how can you be faithful to Scripture and be an encouraging friend this week? Perhaps like Titus, you have a friend who is downcast and in need of comfort. Making friendship a ministry means you'll seek out that friend to encourage them. Let them know that you care about them. Lovingly ask questions to understand their situations. Perhaps there's something you learned in your Bible reading that encouraged you that you could share with your friend. And if that person isn't a Christian, this can be an opportunity to share the hope that is found in Jesus. You don't need to preach at them. Make it conversational. One way to start that conversation is simply asking the question, would you like to hear what the Bible has to say about that? Or can I tell you what I do when I'm feeling downcast? I think most of your friends would answer yes, giving you the opportunity to point them to Jesus. But don't reserve your encouragement for those who only are downcast. Be intentional in letting your friends know that you care about them and appreciate them. I know this sounds basic, but it reveals to your friend a heart that cares and loves them and has compassion to them that results from the care and love and compassion you receive from your Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, companionship is a form of encouragement. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was nearly isolated from everyone else. His faithful friend Luke was thankfully with him. And Paul concluded his letter by urging Timothy to come to Rome soon, ideally before winter set in. Paul wanted to see his friend Timothy again and was not too proud to ask Timothy to travel several months to get to Rome. We learn how close their friendship was because Timothy was the one that knew where Paul's cloak was and where the parchments and uh, books are that, that Paul wanted in his prison cell. Do you have a friend who is alone or feels alone? Perhaps your ministry of encouragement can simply be reaching out 
and spending time together. Okay, let's move to a second attribute of biblical friendship. The ministry of friendship willingly forgives. The ministry of friendship willingly forgives. You may have noticed that Paul didn't just ask Timothy to come to Rome. In verse 11, Paul writes, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. If you know the backstory of Mark, you know how significant this was. Mark is also known in the New Testament as John Mark. John was probably his Hebrew name and Mark his Roman name. He wrote the Gospel of Mark and was the cousin of Barnabas. Mark grew up in the very center of the early church. In Acts 12, you may remember the, the incident where Peter is, is miraculously rescued from prison. And, and when he leaves that prison, Peter goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying, Acts 12, 12. Since this is where Peter went, scholars believe that this house Mark grew up in was probably a gathering place for the early church. So Mark likely had lots of personal interactions with the disciples of Jesus. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like you're going to church and there's, there's Peter and John and James. That, that, that would have been Mark growing up. And then eventually, he joined Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip. But in Acts 13.13, 13, we learn that Mark left them to go back home to Jerusalem. And this hurt Paul deeply. It hurt him so much, in fact, he refused to take Mark on his second mission trip, even though Barnabas wanted Mark to go with them. To say that Paul's friendship with Mark was, was on shaky ground is, is probably an understatement. Now, it's unfortunate we don't know what happened between the two of them, but they must have eventually reconciled because at some point, Mark rejoined Paul. He's listed as one of Paul's fellow workers in Colossians chapter 4. And in 2 Timothy, as Paul awaits certain execution, he wanted Timothy to bring Mark because Mark was very useful. What a great lesson in friendship. Friends are going to let you down and disappoint you. But that doesn't need to be the end of your friendship. Paul writes to the Ephesians to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We don't know how this friendship was repaired. Perhaps it was initiated by John Mark reaching out to Paul with an apology. If you were here last week, Pastor Rob gave us a four-step process to a healthy apology that I'll quickly summarize. There we go. Four-step process to a healthy apology, courtesy of Pastor Rob. Step one, confess what you did. You might remember Rob said that that comes out as I verb you. I abandoned you and left you to go home. I, I, uh, I've hurt you in some way, right? Name what you did. Step two, acknowledge you were wrong. I loved what Rob said last week. You say that by saying, I was wrong. Step three, express regret. Say, I am sorry. And then step four, ask for forgiveness. Ask, will you forgive me? Perhaps that's what happened for the reconciliation. John Mark reached out to Paul and apologized. Or maybe Paul took the initiative and let Mark know the hurt he had inflicted 
and Mark repented. That would be consistent with the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18. We don't know what took place, but what we do know is that a broken friendship was repaired. The ministry of, friend, uh, ministry of friendship willingly forgives. Think about your friends. Have you hurt one of them recently? Maybe by something you said, something you did, or something you didn't do. If so, today is a good day to find them or call them and let them know that you are sorry and ask for their forgiveness. Or maybe a friend has hurt you and the issue remains unresolved. This would be a good week to begin the process of reconciliation. Start by examining yourself and confessing to the Lord any sinful behavior or attitude you may have, Luke 6.42. And when you do talk to your friend, your goal is to gently and lovingly restore the relationship, Galatians 6.1. Depending on the circumstances, it might be helpful to discuss the matter with a parent or with a pastor. There is wisdom in the counsel of many, Proverbs 11.14. For lesser offenses, you may choose to overlook what was said or done. This is often called forbearance, and it requires patience, humility, maturity, and grace. Proverbs 19.11 reads, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Paul instructs us in Colossians 3.13 to bear with one another. To forbear means you have determined that the hurt is not at a level to be addressed right now. It is a deliberate decision to let go of the hurt. That means you, you don't retreat relationally and, and, and stop engaging with them. It means you continue to be friends with them. It means you don't speak poorly of the other person. We see Paul's forbearance in 2 Timothy 4.16 when he mentions that no one was with him at his first defense. Why none of his friends were there is not clear. But Paul immediately writes, may it not be charged against them. That is the heart of forbearance, not holding a grudge. If you struggle with bitterness or speaking poorly of a friend who hurt you, that's not forbearing. Again, I encourage you to talk with a parent or a pastor about how to process your specific circumstances in a biblical way. And before moving on to our third point, I think it's good to say, just state this clearly, our call to forgive and to forbear does not mean it's a call to accept abusive behavior. If you are in a situation that's abusive, you need help, and I encourage you to get help. And I know our pastoral team here would be happy to talk with you more, so call one of us. With that, let's consider a third biblical attribute of friendship. The ministry of friendship lovingly speaks truth. Priscilla and Aquila were two truth-telling friends of Paul who he greeted at the end of this letter. These two were married. They had first met Paul in Corinth because Paul and Aquila were tent makers. They, they worked together making tents. And when Paul left Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila went with him and relocated to Ephesus. And that's where these two met Apollos, who was well-educated and was a wonderful public speaker. And he was speaking in Ephesus about Jesus, but his understanding of Jesus was, was incomplete and limited. God used Priscilla and Aquila 
to take Apollos aside and deepen and complete his understanding of Jesus so that Apollos could better use his speaking skills for the Lord. They were truth-telling friends. Now, to speak God's truth, you need to know God's truth. That's why we began this sermon series with a message about your relationship with God. If you missed that, I encourage you to go online and listen to, to Pastor's Michael, my, Pastor Michael's sermon again. You may have a friend who is making unwise or even sinful decisions or who is unaware how their words or actions are hurting someone else. As a friend, you can bring this to their attention. You've probably heard the phrase, the truth hurts, and that is often true. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's why I'm using the adverb lovingly to this point. You are not a hammer that pounds truth into your friends. Friends lovingly speak truth, Ephesians 4, 15. The goal of speaking truth is to point your friend in the right direction or in a better direction. Alistair Begg tells the story of a friend who took him aside because Alistair was unaware that his propensity to talk was monopolizing conversations and preventing others from getting to know his wife. His friend lovingly brought this to his attention. I experienced something similar this week. I reached out to a friend who I had really done a poor job of staying in touch with over the years. We ended up talking for over an hour. And at the end of that conversation, he, he told me rather directly that my absence in his life, my, my lack of reaching out to him really hurt him. I'll tell you, that was not a fun conversation to hear. It wasn't my intention to hurt. And I quickly accepted responsibility and asked for forgiveness. But it wasn't an easy conversation. So a corollary principle here is that a faithful friend humbly receives truth. You may be on the receiving end of a truth-telling friend. And you need to accept this wound with humility. Now, Pilate famously asked Jesus, what is truth? And it's a good question to ask as we consider this biblical attribute of friendship. Our ultimate source of truth is God's word, John 17, 17. Scripture can often settle an issue quickly and decisively. If you have a friend who is being dishonest, you can lovingly go to him or her and say that lying is wrong, Ephesians 4, 25. If you have a friend who is being mean to others, you can lovingly go to him or her and say, that behavior or language is wrong, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. If you have a friend who disobeys or dishonors their mom or dad, you can lovingly go to him or her and say, that is wrong, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. If you have a friend who gossips or slanders someone when that person is not around, you can lovingly go to him or her and say, that is is wrong, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Where we need to be more careful is on issues that are a matter of preference. For example, you might think it's unwise that your friend is so active on social media or not on social media at all, or that they're coloring their hair green, or they're babysitting for the neighbors down the street, or they've chosen to play football instead of basketball, or the tuba instead of the trumpet. It's important not to confuse preferences with truth. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't share your preferences with your friends. Do it. But just have the understanding there is a difference between matters of truth and matters of preference. So treat them differently in your conversations. I'd like to conclude this morning by considering some special considerations for your friends who are not Christians. And I say special considerations because whether your friend is a Christian or not a Christian, you honor God by encouraging them and forgiving them and speaking truth to them. But there is a fundamental difference between your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends. You and your Christian friends share a common source for truth in God's word. Your call is to stir one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10.24. And because each of you follow Jesus, you share in the same hope and the same purpose. So there is a bond of unity that simply cannot be replicated with your non-Christian friends. That doesn't mean we avoid having non-Christian friends. Even Jesus had a reputation for spending time with society's sinners. He did so without sinning. And he did so because they needed the gift of grace found only in him. And so do your friends. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 As you live out your Christian faith with your friends, they ought to see the light of Christ in what you say and what you do. That means you don't join them if they are cheating or using unwholesome language or gossiping or engaged in unwholesome behavior. This means you show kindness and hospitality even to those who are not popular. It means you take a stand against cultural norms that are contrary to the Bible. Doing so will lead to conversations about what you believe and why you believe it. And that's evangelism, sharing the gospel truth in a loving, caring way. Be prepared, though. It will also lead to rejection and ridicule. Your call is to be faithful to the Lord, not to change everyone's mind, not to have everyone like you. Even Paul experienced rejection from his friends. For whatever reason, Demas was more attracted to things of this world than continuing in ministry with Paul, 2 Timothy 4.10. You may find that being faithful to the Lord severs a friendship. As disappointing and, and as hurtful as that can be, you can find comfort that your obedience to Scripture is pleasing to the Lord. Peter writes that if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, 1 Peter 3.14. And when Paul was all alone, the Lord faithfully stood by him and strengthened him, 2 Timothy 4.17. One of my biggest regrets from my youth is that I too often failed to shine the light of Jesus to my friends who didn't know him. I didn't want to be risk. I didn't want to risk being rejected or looked down upon. And I look back now, so many years later, and can say with, with confidence, that was short-sighted. And it saddens me, really. I've struggled with it this week, thinking about it. That I didn't have much 
if any Christian influence on so many of my friends growing up. And in fact, in many ways, they probably had more influence on me. And I would say that is a good test as you make choices about your friends. If you find your friend is drawing you away from obedience to the Lord, I would counsel you to carefully consider distancing yourself from that friend. On the other hand, if he or she does not create temptation to compromise your walk in the Lord, then you have been given a great opportunity to speak and display the gospel truth to them. Kids today, students, young people, you are not too young for God to use you to minister to your friends, to purposely encourage them, to willingly forgive them, to lovingly speak truth to them, to shine the light of Christ brightly, and by doing so, pointing your friends to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, grant us the wisdom, the strength, the courage, and the desire to be faithful to you in our friendships. Help us shine your light brightly to a world that desperately needs you and to be a faithful witness for you to our friends. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.